Welcome back to The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. In its 2020 budget request, the Navy has asked for solid increases for new technologies, including artificial intelligence and unmanned systems. Officials also have large traditional shipbuilding plans while they plan for the eventual construction of a whole new class of submarine. It's all a big balancing act. At this week's Sea Air Space Conference, I discussed it with the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral John Richardson. The strategic themes of the budget are, one, that it's focused on great power competition, right? This is a, a budget that addresses our competitive stance as a nation at that level. And then, just as you pointed out, it leans into the future, right? I mean, there are really game-changing technologies out there, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, autonomy, unmanned directed energy, hypersonics, all of the above. And uh, you want to be, to be competitive, you're going to have to be in that space, if not first in that space. And so we've uh, moved out, we've invested not only from a, a raw dollar amount, but an emphasis amount to, to make sure that we're staying competitive in that. And wh- what does that do to the strategy that's on the books, at least, for 355 ships and 12 carriers, which seem a little distant at this point, given what's actually available for money? Well, I'll tell you, the overall uh, message of the force structure assessment that came up with that 355 number, we did that in 2016, and uh, that was a very broad effort across uh, many, many uh, different uh, organizations to take a look at what do we need as a Navy to meet our responsibilities to the nation. And the consensus uh, across everybody, unanimous consensus, was that, was that the Navy needed to grow. We needed no, more naval power. And uh, in terms of, if you want to describe naval power in terms of numbers of platforms, three, uh, something in the middle 300s for everybody was about right, or, or even trending to four. We did our condensation of all of that and came up with 355. We're doing another four-structure assessment. Even though that was just barely two and a half years old, because technology has changed so rapidly, because the security environment has changed so rapidly. And so we want to make sure that, uh, just as I said, we're investing and incorporating those technologies as fast as we can. And the Navy, of course, is a force-projecting force by itself. But as greater deniability comes from other nations and you can't go places that you might have been able to send a ship realistically, does that increase the dependence or the reliance on that projection from a far capability, more so than we've been used to in the past 25 years? I think what you're saying is that uh, there are what we call uh, anti-access area denial types of systems going up, reconnaissance strike networks that are potentially denying uh, our ability to go in places that we used to habitually go. I would say that, uh, one, that's always a back and forth you know, battle since the history uh, of conflict. And so uh, we've got ways that we can get access to those areas. But to your point also, if we can put an unmanned platform in there or if we can extend the range of our systems to to penetrate into there, of course, that's what we want to do. If an unmanned uh, platform can do it, why do I want to put a person at risk uh, to do that same job? So this is the types of uh, dynamics that we're we're experimenting with. Yeah, I was thinking of the islands that China built in the South China Sea. I Mm -hmm. mean, do you ever want to feel like you just pull up and dock in there and say, hi, folks? Uh, Yeah, not recently, but... uh, (laughs) We, we do need to watch that uh, very carefully. And there's also a big emphasis on training and also, yeah. I would say, training efficiency with yeah. the use of virtual reality, uh, partly uh, but maybe heavily driven by the events of the 7th Fleet, which were in some sense training 
failures or, or uh, yeah I think uh, what I would uh, how I would express it is that in the last 10 years we have learned uh, a tremendous amount about how people learn you know how they assimilate information and, and get smarter and uh, some of that is uh, just learning techniques right some people learn better with videos some people learn better from reading some people learn better from audio you know so there's all sorts of that uh, those types of uh, dynamics then the technology has really become stunning in this area in terms of being able to create a very realistic environment in which to train. And then finally, uh, what we need to do is make sure that it's not just a video game that we're playing, that it incorporates feedback in terms of uh, actually assessing a person's uh, performance in that environment against the, the standards that we would expect. And so you know, in response to the Seventh Fleet uh, situation in 2017, we're accelerating all of that and expanding that technology to not only our schoolhouses, but our what we call our fleet concentration areas, our home ports, so that uh, ships and their teams can go down and train on them. And certainly as you develop in your career, you've got more opportunities to do that as well. Because I would think VR is a great vehicle to save a lot of money, yet get intensive training without using actual ships and the cost they entail. No, you're very right. Now, you know, I would say that uh, the technology allows us to go a lot further uh, down the training path than we ever used to be able to go, right? A at some point, only the real thing can take you that final uh, right. distance. But, boy, we can get a lot more trained using uh, virtual technologies than we ever could. The other thing we're doing, Tom, is we are combining virtual with reality, sort of augmented reality approaches to training. So, uh, you know, very cleverly, if I have a ship that's in visual range, and I look out, I see a ship in visual range. Uh, but I can complicate the scenario greatly by bringing in virtual challenges. And uh, this allows us to get at uh, levels of complexity and, and scenarios that we just couldn't get uh, in, uh, if we used all live uh, training assets. We're speaking with the Navy CNO, Admiral John Richardson. And let's talk about some future budget priorities the Columbia class yeah. will eventually move into production. Right. F-35 is still, in some sense, ramping up. There's already some retrofitting going on and, and so on. Mm -hmm. How will you be able to sustain those plans consistent with the readiness demands and the upgrade demands and the maintenance demands right. in 22, 3, 4? Sure, it's a great question. And it's really kind of the job description of any service chief is how are you going to balance modernization versus today's readiness and uh, so you know, that, that you're always making those trade-offs. Having said that, the Columbia class is the number one acquisition priority for the, the Defense Department. Reconstituting that undersea leg of the strategic deterrent triad is absolutely essential. And so uh, you know, we're going to be working closely with uh, the Office of the Secretary of Defense and the Congress to make sure that we do that in a way that doesn't uh, eliminate or prohibit us from building the rest of the Navy that the nation needs. And as the Navy gets more diverse in the sense of the platforms and the technologies and the missions, uh, you have been concentrating on leadership development as yeah. one of your themes. Tell us more about that. No, in fact, uh, the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, uh, Russ Smith and I, uh, just did a quick video, Facebook video, that talks about the updates to both of our leader development strategies. It's one of the most important thing, if not the most important thing that we do as a Navy with our people is to build leaders. We're, a, we're essentially a leadership engine. You know, you come into the Navy, you go through boot camp, you report to your ship, you, you find out where your rack is, your bunk, 
And before you know it, you're in charge of something. I mean, it happens very fast. And so uh, that only happens if you take a very deliberate approach. And so we've both just updated our leadership approaches and uh, the leader development framework uh, version three. And then uh, the MCPON's laying the keel document, talk about how we get at that. And a final question, quality of life, uh, the derelict housing issue has been yeah. kind of a side show, but a serious one in many ways for the Navy. And you've, you're just about to complete an investigation of what happened in that whole area. Lessons learned yet or strategy Well, change? I think uh, there's no real uh, mysteries to that, right? And so it just, uh, first of all, let me just say that it's absolutely uh, essential that uh, we provide our sailors and their families with safe and quality housing, right? I mean, that's, that's just uh, part of the fundamental agreement uh, that we have with, with all of our sailors. And uh, we, uh, in about 1996, we got into a, a partnership with some private property managers. And, uh, you know, for uh, the intervening 20 or so years, uh, you know, we find ourselves with some quality issues in some of our housing, and uh, we're getting into that uh, with our partners and uh, getting that fixed. So the response times on all of that, we're addressing every one of their needs to make sure that we get back to this safe and quali uh, quality housing. Admiral John Richardson is Chief of Naval Operations. We spoke at this week's Sea Air Space Conference. We'll post the interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Still to come on Federal News Radio, it's back. Talk of a giant infrastructure spending package that would get many agencies busy. But first, blockchain technology is moving quickly into some of the government's most important niche applications. It's the Federal Drive with Tom Temin. Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details.